Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this uh, new lecture of the uh, Middle East Institute. It's exactly uh, 5 p.m. in Singapore. I will be your host, uh, uh, Jean-Louis Saman, uh, from the Middle East Institute for the next uh, hour and a half. Uh, today, we will be discussing Iran and Arab relations, and uh, we thought this was uh, a timely uh, topic uh, after a first lecture last week that discussed the situation of great power competition in uh, the Middle East. And as we said last week, uh, the great power competition in the Middle East is a two-way street, meaning that it's not only great power, uh, great powers uh, trying to uh, shape uh, the uh, balance in the Middle East. Uh, we will see this week in particular that the Middle East powers also have a say and have their own agency. Uh, to discuss that, we will be uh, looking more specifically at Iran, uh, Iran's foreign policy, and in particular, Iran's policy towards the Arab world. Uh, this is a topic that has evolved greatly in the last uh, months. Uh, not so long ago, we used to talk about the Cold War between Iran and the Arab Gulf states. And uh, we've seen in the last months, and in particular after the uh, spectacular announcement uh, by China of a deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran that uh, all the previous narratives, all the previous talks about uh, Iran-Arab relations uh, have been challenged in a way. Uh, so to discuss these topics, we'll have here uh, two great speakers. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll have uh, uh, Dr. Jacopo Shita, who's joining us uh, and who's a policy fellow at the Bourse and Bazaar Foundation. Uh, Dr. Shita focuses on China's relations with the countries of the Middle East and Central Asia, and in particular, uh, Iran. Uh, his research traces the security, economic, and social dynamics generated by China's growing presence in the region. Uh, he obtained his doctorate uh, last year, in October 2022, uh, from Durham University in the UK, uh, and his th thesis in particular was titled Role Theory and China's Relations with Iran, All Weather Friends on Beijing's Term. Uh, he will be uh, preceded actually by uh, my colleague Asif Shuja, who's a senior research fellow at the Middle East Institute, where he focuses on Iran, Iran's domestic politics, Iranian nuclear issue, as well as Iran's foreign policy. Previous, previous to his position at the Middle East Institute in Singapore, uh, Dr. Shuja was associated with the International Center for Strategic Studies in Abu Dhabi as a non-resident fellow. And his other research affiliations include the Indian Council of, of World Affairs, where he worked as a research fellow, and the Center for Air Power Studies in New Delhi. Uh, Dr. Shuja obtained his PhD on Iran's political power struggle from the Center for West Asian Studies in uh, Jawaharlal uh, Nehru University in New Delhi. And let me mention that he's the author of the book India-Iran Relations Under the Shadow of the Iran Iranian Nuclear Issue. Now, further, without further ado, I will leave the floor right away to uh, Dr. Shuja uh, for the, the first uh, part of the discussion. And following the uh, the initial presentation, we will have uh, a Q&A. Let me remind our audience that if you want already to ask questions, you can send, you can write them uh, in the chat box, uh, send them to MEI event, and we will make sure to, uh, uh, to ask the questions to the speakers. Thank you. And as if the floor is yours. 
Thank you, John Loeb, for your kind introduction. And I hope I'm audible, right? Okay. So uh, let me just share the slide because this is the presentation that uh, uh, both uh, Yoko Vishita and uh, I will be sharing. So let me just share the slide. So uh, as we can see that uh, uh, the title of our today's uh, uh, lecture is Iran-Arab Relations uh, from Rivalry to Rapprochement. So uh, the picture that we are he seeing here is actually what has been making the news. Uh, China mediated uh, a mediated uh, uh, rapprochement that has come between Iran and Saudi Arabia. So we are going to cover this entire topic. Uh, we have basically uh, broken this whole issue into two parts. Uh, which will eventually be our learning objectives. The first is the rivalry part, where we will be looking at Iran-Saudi rivalry, uh, which we will be contextualizing in Iran's regional outreach dynamics. So what is exactly Iran's regional role? There we shall be looking at the rivalry part. And we will see again if there are uh, differences which can be reconcilable or if there are differences uh, which can never be resolved. So this whole part I will be dealing with. And my colleague here, uh, uh, Dr. Sheeta, will be looking at the rapprochement part, that is the China's brokered Iran-Saudi agreement. And he will be also looking at its implications to the regional architecture and will be making a comparison between the U.S. brokered Abraham Accord. So when we look at Iran's regional role and the rivalry between Iran and Saudi Arabia, the first concept that is there uh, in our mind is the leadership of the Islamic world. So it is that contest in which the two powers are uh, uh, engrossed. But uh, we have to look at uh, Saudi Arabia as the legitimate center of Islam because it is, uh, where, it is there where the Islam was born. It is there where physically even to, till this, this day, uh, two holy mosques are residing. Uh, on, on this picture, we can see uh, Makkah and Medina, the two holy mosques, uh, where these two holy mosques are, mosques are based. So this is where the whole Islamic world goes uh, for the pilgrimage. So this gives Saudi Arabia a, a proper legitimacy to be the claimant of the Islamic world. So that was kind of a moral, uh, moral uh, dynamics that uh, Saudi Arabia was enjoying as the leadership, as the leader of the Islamic world. And since Middle East primarily being the Muslim society, it was having a very legitimate claim to the whole of the region as far as this religious factor was concerned. So that was one status that Saudi Arabia was enjoying. And then we see that apart from this status, in the security dynamics, this uh, uh, Iran, uh, this Saudi Arabia and United States came into agreement in 1945. This is a picture which is quite... Uh, 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 clearly depicts their relationship, which started on 14th of February 1945. And uh, the relationship that was built with this particular agreement, where the king of Saudi Arabia, Ibn Saud, and uh, President uh, Roosevelt of United States, they had met. And this is where their relationship started, which, uh, which went until, uh, until present time it is there. And it is now that we have been evaluating whether this relationship is impacted by certain factors or not. So this is another factor which has actually given Saudi Arabia a very strong hold in the region in terms of military and security dynamics. Now we see that the challenge to that 
status of Saudi Arabia uh, uh, was given in 1979 through the revolution that happened in Iran. So Saudi Arabia at one place in the moral spectrum in terms of Islam, in the security spectrum in terms of its relationship with the United States was enjoying a power status. Now, in 1979, a revolution happens where a person called Ayatollah Khomeini becomes the leader of the masses, who are all again Muslim. Of course, they are Shia Muslim, but again, they are, they, they are Muslim. So on, on our left, we can see the popularity that Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini enjoyed. This picture on our left is, in fact, before the revolution and before uh, the picture on our right, we can see that Ayatollah Khomeini is flying from France to Iran. So the picture that is depicted, depicted on left, it is there to depict that even when uh, Ayatollah Khomeini is not there in Tehran, he has this kind of popularity. So once he landed in Iran, he became the leader of the entire population. And now he charted on a journey, which as you will see, that gave Saudi Arabia a kind of a tough fight in terms of its regional powerhood. And this is where the rivalry came. So as soon as that happened, there was a lot of ripples within the region and globally also. So the one uh, immediate impact of that revolution was that the geopolitics in, uh, uh, unfolded in a particular way where Iran and Iraq what happened. That was between 1980 and 88. So that is uh, one thing where Iran, uh, uh, Iran's relationship with other powers could be seen. But since we are specifically focusing here, on how Iran and Saudi Arabia's relationship was impacted by certain key events of history. So here we see that Iran-Iraq war, Saudi Arabia had sided with Iraq. So that was one issue which actually was ingrained in the psyche of Iranians. And at, uh, on, on the screen on the left, we can see that uh, it's the Iranian soldier which has been wearing a gas mask. So Iranians always talk about the chemical weapons that was used by Saddam Hussein. And on our right, we see that Saddam Hussein is actually shaking head with Donald Rumsfeld, who was there, the, uh, the, the US envoy to, the, to, to Iraq. So this is actually uh, to depict the relationship between Saudi, between uh, United States and Iraq at one hand, and Iran and Saudi Arabia at other. So this was another issue where Saudi Arabia siding with Iraq has become an issue in the minds of Iranian because Iran-Iraq war had a very uh, big impact on, on Iranian society, on Iranian economy and it is still trying to recover. So this is another key event which has actually uh, become a very important issue in their relationship and a major factor for rivalry. So during this uh, war, uh, since uh, Saudi Arabia was a monarchy and Iran had got a leadership which was not a monarchy, which was not hereditary. It was sort of popular leader which was ruling. And uh, in the GCC, all six countries were having a monarch. So it created some kind of unnerving uh, sentiments among these powers. So they tried to uh, find a formula where they, where they could save themselves if there's kind of export of that revolution which uh, Ayatollah Khomeini had uh, brought out in Iran. So they came out with a formula which is called GCC, Gulf Cooperation Council. And this is the picture where on 25th of May 1981, uh, their first summit had happened. So this became 
in a way, a sort of block in order to check Iran. Of course, during their communique, they did not explicitly mention Iran, but uh, the timing of this organization actually tells us that it was actually the product of Iran emerging as, as a power and not a monarchy, unlike the other six countries. So this became another issue and sort of, you know, deterrence by these six monarchs. So this is uh, actually was going in a long way in terms of their uh, relationship. Now, the major contention between Iran and Saudi Arabia that came in 2002, on 14th of August to be specific, uh, this particular photograph actually depicts the start of this nuclear genie, which uh, we have been discussing even to this day. So this was uh, Ali Raza Jafarzadeh who actually revealed sort of clandestine nature of Iranian program on 14th of August 2002. Before that, Iran was having a civil nuclear program, but uh, if there is any military dimension of it, or if there are some clandestine which are hidden from NPT in, uh, or IAEA, uh, from IAEA inspectors, this was revealed to the world for the first time on this day by this man uh, who is actually a member of NCRI, which is actually a dissident group of Iran. So this became a major bone of contention between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And uh, even to this day, they have been struggling with how to deal with this problem. And apart from Iran's nuclear program, we know that Iran has certain other armaments. Uh, these days, there's a lot of talk about Iran's drones. We know about Iran's missiles. We know about Iran's parallel two types of different military. So in terms of all these power uh, parameters, Iran is very powerful. So the only way through which Saudi Arabia can give Iran fight, because intrinsically, if we see the worth of Saudi Arabia's military, we see that there is absolutely, absolutely no comparison. So where does Saudi Arabia derive its strength? It derives its strength from its alliance with United States. That is why uh, Saudi Arabia's relationship with United States becomes crucial as in, in its fight with, with Iran. Now, we see the another wave of uh, you know disturbances that come came in the Middle East was in in the form of Arab Spring. So what was this Arab Arab Spring was a kind of a popular movement to uh, to bring out sort of representative government. You name it as you like, call it democracy, call it call it some other form of government. But they were intrinsically against the hereditical, uh, monarchical uh, you know form of government. So of course. This kind of uh, setup, this kind of movement will create ripples if there are monarchies. So, uh, and since there was kind of uh, rivalry already in place between Iran and Saudi Arabia, so it is not very difficult to see that Iran would have liked to capitalize on these sentiments. So this was majorly another major issue, which was really a big problem. There is another, you know, Bahrain uprising is actually part of uh, Arab Spring, it happened all across Middle East. We know about Egypt, we know about many other countries like Libya. So this is a very important Bahrain because it is very close to Saudi Arabia. And of course it is part of GCC. So, and it has sizable, sizable Shia majority. So this was one major issue uh, where Saudi Arabia and Iran relationship was impacted. And now finally, uh, the other major issue that was Yemen war. Because see, uh, Yemen is, is a neighbor of Saudi Arabia. It's actually the backyard of Saudi Arabia. 
and uh, Iran is not a land neighbor of uh, Yemen. So, of course, Iran has been fighting with Saudi Arabia in sort of proxy war, and uh, whatever you know dynamic that was created because of the Arab Spring in Yemen that was being capitalized by by Iran. So here we see that the ravages of Yemen war on the left, and <clears throat> because Iran has been officially denying that it has been supporting the rival group Houthi, you know. So, but here in the picture, you see that uh, Ayatollah Khamenei, the, the current supreme leader of Iran, is uh, talking with the representative of Houthi rebels. So, of course, there's kind of tacit understanding between these two. But, of course, officially, they are, they, they are not saying that they are supporting. So, this is one Yemen conflict that became the most important uh, current issue between these two uh, countries. And uh, then... Uh, there's one more, uh, you know, issue which was the execution of Nimr, uh, Nimr uh, Al Nimr in uh, Saudi Arabia in 2016, uh, when it, this was a Shia uh, Shia cleric who was executed. Uh, since uh, Iran says that, and of course, the sizable majority of Iran is Shia, so there was a large repercussions on Iranian society. So here we see the procession that was happening in support of Nimr, who was executed by Saudi Arabia. As a matter of fact, uh, when uh, this cleric was executed, uh, the, Ira the, Ira the Saudi embassy in Iran was uh, set on fire and then the two countries snapped their diplomatic ties. So that was actually kind of, a, uh, you know, a culminating point of all these rivalries that they snapped ties and now there was no diplomatic relationship. So this is one major uh, uh, turning point. Now we see that Saudi Arabia and Iran are in sort of proxy fight. And we have said that uh, Saudi Arabia derives its strength from, from United States, its alliance with the United States. And we see there's another discussion that why United States has been receding from, from Middle East. So in this context, this APAC attack in 2019, September 2019, this becomes important because it, it is here where a major oil facility of Saudi Arabia was attacked by Houthi rebels which we have seen that has got tacit support from, from Iran. So indirectly, it is a, it is a fight uh, fight uh, between Iran and Saudi Arabia, of course, a proxy war. But Saudi Arabia was, Saudi Arabia was directly impacted. And since uh, it was directly impacted, it was expecting some kind of action from the, from the side of the United States, which did not come. So now this is one issue uh, which is there on the Saudi's mind. And of, of course, as uh, Dr. Yoko Shita will explain uh, how this is important in terms of, you know, what happened in terms of rapprochement. Now, if we look at uh, this map of Iran and Saudi Arabia, there's just one uh, point I need to highlight here, is that Iran and Saudi Arabia do not uh, uh, share land, uh, land border, right? So why is it important? Because uh, when two countries in international relations do not share land border, still they are in war. That actually shows that they are sort of regional power, right? And if they are regional power, then what is the best way for them to have war with each other? It is through proxies. And we have seen that in the theater of Yemen, they have actually gone into the war. So actually, there is nothing that can go worse. So they have really... Uh, uh, reach to the tipping point, and this is important to be highlighted that after reaching this tipping point, Saudi Arabia has seen that the uh, United States has not come out actively in a combat mode to 
take him uh, to, uh, to 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 get him out of this quagmire so maybe that is why you know the this this point of rivalry is important when we are trying to understand why there is rapprochement between the two countries so we have seen that there are a lot of uh, you know issues or key events or you know incidences of history where we see the rivalry but of course there are some brief period of cooperation to be precise these are two you know general agreements between these two countries uh, one is economic in 1998 the other is security but if you look at it 1998 and 2001 in fact april 17 2001 you see that in 2002 uh, the iranian nuclear genie had come up so despite all those problems they were trying to have sort, sort of you know a relationship they were trying to build some sort of relationship but that was all trumped by these uh, by the iranian nuclear program so after which things actually gotten uh, worse so uh, because of you know all these uh, uh, key events uh, since uh, they were facing and uh, then as i said the dynamics of it that they have really reached tipping point so there has to be some compulsion uh, behind them uh, in the minds of the two leaders which actually brought them closer for this trilateral agreement so uh, uh, this the, this is actually the, the the picture of that trilateral statement you know which, which is there which actually will be explained by my colleague uh, dr sheeta as to why exactly this rapprochement happened i have just given the background of uh, of the two countries relationship highlighting the key points on which their rivalries are there so uh, i will just stop and these are some image attributions for reference so thank you so much and now i'll hand uh, over to Uh, Dr. Sheeta, please. Yeah, let me share my screen. Thank you so much, uh, Asif, for your um, introduction, which is uh, perfectly uh, offered us uh, the, the broader context of uh, um, the March 10 agreement between uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia. And uh, let, let me say thank you uh, to Jean-Lou for, um, you know, moderating this. Uh, we haven't, uh, it's the first time I think we we meet, although virtually, but we have interacted quite a lot. And I look forward to reading your latest book, which looks promising. Uh, and um, and thank you so much for the Middle East Institute for having me. It's, it's a great pleasure. Uh, it's not the first time I work with the Middle East Institute. I know a lot of people there. So for me, it's, it's fantastic to, to join this, this conversation. And I see there's a pretty big crowd. So that, that's even better. So um, yeah, as, uh, as my colleague Asif has, um, has introduced, you know, um, my sort of contribution to this will be look more specifically at the uh, recent Uh, what I call the escalation agreement between Saudi Arabia and Iran, uh, which was brokered by China, which probably is the most interesting and, and to an extent surprising um, aspect of this um, of this agreement. Because as Asif was saying at the end of his presentation, it's quite clear that uh, things and, and the rivalry between Saudi Arabia and Iran uh, had reached sort of a tipping point, a, a point where, you know, some sort of agreement, some sort of escalation was supposed to happen in a way or another. But the very fact that China was able to sort of put his diplomatic hat over that agreement is, is certainly significant. Uh, and, and I think it should be investigated and discussed a lot. And, and the more time it passes, the more the clearer is the picture of what China has done what China was aiming uh, and, and why 
uh, regional countries wanted China on board. So, um, but yeah, uh, let me start from, you know, um, sort of where Asif already, what Asif already touched. So I think, you know, the, the, the casus belli, if you want to say like that, or what did not turn into a casus belli for uh, the sort of a long-term process of uh, de-escalation or attempt to create a de-escalation momentum between Saudi Arabia and Iran was the uh, Houthis slash Iran attack on Saudi oil facilities. Um, you know, since, especially since uh, uh, the Trump administration withdrew from the JCPOA in 2018, we have seen a, a, a consistent de uh, escalation uh, by Iran and its proxies in the Gulf as a sort of response to the reposition of uh, uh, US secondary sanction, the maximum pressure campaign. Um, and of course, although we can argue how much Iran controls the Houthi, uh, and uh, and so on, but it's quite clear that there's been a, a, an escalation trend uh, in, in in the region uh, with attacks to oil tankers, with attacks to oil facilities, and definitely the 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 September 2018 attacks uh, have been the, the most tragic and uh, uh, the most revealing um, of Iran's ability to hit where. It targets the most in Saudi Arabia, so it's uh, oil output capacity. So, um, and as Asif was saying, and, and I think you guys have discussed quite a lot in the previous uh, lecture, um, the key point there was, yes, the attack, but also the lack of US response to uh, to such a deep and strong and, and, and dangerous move by Iran. Saudi Arabia were uh, definitely uh, unhappy. And one thing I, it's worth, I think, you know, remember when we think about this is that at that time, the US president was not Joe Biden, but was Donald Trump. So someone that from Saudi Arabia perspective, but generally speaking from the Gulf perspective, was a friendly president, was much more friendly than than Biden, was much more accommodating, was much more, much more open to, you know, sell uh, arms, um, planes and stuff to uh, sort of give green lights to, to Gulf countries. Uh, and, you know, um, I think, you know, this in the sort of the Saudi mindset, really, uh, the fact that Trump did not came at, at Saudi rescue, as they expected, sort of change uh, Saudi um, mindset about this. And the response, interestingly enough, um, was to try to establish a, a regional dialogue. So um, this is something we are not very much keen uh, and, and used, let's say, used to, to see in, in, in the Middle East in general and in the Gulf. So uh, usually we're always, we're always seeing external powers um, trying to, you know, impose their, um, their will or try to, you know, move regional processes and lead regional processes. Uh, with the failure of the United States to um, respond as Saudi Arabia hoped to Iran's attack, um, the news was that a regional a process, a difficult process of regional dialogue emerged. And uh, uh, this was led by Iraq and Oman, mostly. Uh, it happened through uh, various meetings uh, uh, between um, um, several regional countries, including Iran and Saudi Arabia. So since uh, 2021, since September, August 2021, two 
March 2023, we had this sort of new, interesting, usually promising, but also um, often, you know, uh, delusional uh, regional dialogue. But this was uh, sort of the uh, context uh, that preceded China's getting on board and uh, brokering the deal. Uh, how this happened? So um, interestingly enough, in uh, December 2022, Xi Jinping visited Saudi Arabia um, in what was a sort of the um, greatest celebration of the honeymoon that uh, the Arab world and China are living um, these days. Uh, Xi Jinping was welcomed with, with the greatest honor in Saudi Arabia. Uh, there were three days of meeting at, at three level, uh, one with Saudi Arabia, one with, with the GCC, and one with the Arab League. So this was really a celebration of um, Saudi um, Arab, uh, sorry, the China-Arab relations. Uh, and it was also a huge blow to Iran because uh, China signed um, a joint declaration with the GCC countries in which, uh, in the declaration, the UAE um, claimed three islands in the Persian Gulf that are under the Iranian control since 1971. Uh, and China signed that declaration, sort of, um, you know, uh, putting a lot of pressure on, on the Iranian administration, which, were, which was furious about China betraying and uh, Iran's uh, sovereignty. And, and, and this, uh, for me, myself, that I'm, I'm, I'm a watcher of this, this, this things. Uh, um, this was, this was strange. This was a massive blow. I thought, well, you know, China is for once abandoning a sort of balanced policy between the Arab world and Iran, and siding with, with Saudi Arabia, with the UAE, with the GCC. Um, but then, surprisingly enough, as a sort of to amend what happened, uh, Ibrahim Arizi, so the Iranian president, was invited to visit China uh, in February 2023. Uh, again, the visit was a celebration of senior Iranian relations. Uh, was the Marizi was the first president uh, to embark on an official visit to China um, after 20 years. Uh, and so, um, you know, it seems that, okay, China is back at balancing between Iran and Saudi Arabia. China is carefully showing the world that uh, it doesn't want to uh, let, uh, to leave Iran in the hands of the United States, that Iran is a friend and, and so on. The interesting thing is that despite the, this, this visit happened uh, a month before the, the agreement was between Iran and Saudi Arabia was announced in Beijing, there were no rumors about this being discussed. Uh, and usually, you know, when 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 you have this sort of visit and uh, you you have leaks, you have you know uh, speculation about uh, all this stuff, but it was complete silence. Um, and we were all, you know, surprised. Myself in, in premise, but I think you know most of the server was surprised by the announcement uh, on March 10 of this trilateral agreement between uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and China. When China put itself um, as a mediator of the agreement, uh, China uh, was a guarantor somehow of the agreement, or at least uh, it, it tried to, to put itself as sort of the um, 
the country that guarantees the agreement. Uh, when we um, when we knew uh, about the agreement, when news broke, uh, um, a lot of us looked back at what happened, and and the first news and details came out, and it seems that. Uh, apparently, as far as we know, was Saudi Arabia and was um, MBS, so this guy that asked Xi Jinping to mediate. Um, and uh, Raisi was invited to Beijing to, um, you know, to get the message from MBS conveyed. And, and so China was an active player in this, um, in this agreement, but uh, what we have to um, think about and really start to, um, you know, uh, reflect a bit today is uh, what was the context of this agreement? What was the broader context of this agreement? Um, why? Uh, what were the objectives uh, that Saudi Arabia and Iran had in this agreement? And I think uh, Asif give you a sort of a, a broader uh, perspective on this. But also, how does this Chinese role fit in this? Is this uh, something new? Are we witnessing a change in the geopolitical landscape of the region? Uh, or is just, you know, uh, China continuing its strategy uh, and, and taking advantage of, of, um, of an occasion? Um, let, let me try to answer, answer this, this question. So first of all, I think, you know, one thing we, we have not to forget is that, yes, the, con the regional context of this agreement is, of course, uh, uh, Iran, US, Saudi Arabia tension in the region, uh, which we have um, described in great detail before. But there's a broader context, which is uh, the one of Russia war in Ukraine. So the Russia war in Ukraine, the invasion, really changed the geopolitical landscape. And I think China, at some point in that context, um, was and still is looking to uh, define its new place in in this sort of this new geopolitical global geopolitical reality, and uh, in my opinion, in my opinion, um, this uh, agreement uh, for China was a good chance to um, send a message to the world and in particular to the global south, uh, and that message, which is consistent, I'd say, with. Uh, for example, with China, um, with China global uh, strategy and 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 so on, was that hey, um, you know, everyone and especially the United States and Europe are all focused on uh, Ukraine and Russia war in Ukraine, uh, but there are a lot of conflicts in the world, and and this is exactly the words that Wang He, uh, that guy in the middle of the picture. Uh, said um, after uh, signing the agreement with, with Saudi uh, Arabia and Iran. He said, um, look, um, the fact that we mediated this agreement um, and that we resolved um, a, a long-term conflict between Saudi Arabia and Iran is a testify that China cares about the global South, cares about conflicts that no one cares anymore because everyone in the West is focused on Ukraine and, uh, and Russia. But there are a lot of conflicts and China is there to help. China is willing to help. China is willing to mediate. And so this, this was a good occasion for China to uh, put in practice a message they were crafting 
uh, in the context of the war in Ukraine. But for China, this was also, interestingly enough, a low-cost activity. And I say that because, um, as we were saying, um, the, the reconciliation, the de-escalation process was not initiated by China. It wasn't initiated by regional countries. So China came um, at the end of the process, at the point where, as I was saying before, where both Saudi Arabia and Iran reached the point where an agreement was due. And so China was invited by Iran and Saudi Arabia uh, because it was a trusted partner, because uh, from a Saudi perspective, China is the only um, is the only great power that has some influence on Iran. But China came there at the point where the terms of the agreement were already on the table. So this was a sort of a low cost um, intervention. It was a sort of, um, you know, a, China had probably assurance that the agreement was going to be um, signed, that, that this was not a sort of, a, you know, um, impossible achievement. There was something that was possible, that was close to be. Um, and so, um, and, and so therefore, this is not inconsistent with China global st regional strategy. You know, when we talk about China, and I think I'm sure you have heard a lot about this, when you talk about China um, regional strategy in the Middle East, we all focus on uh, look at China as a sort of economic and financial player in the region. Um, we also uh, consider China a, a diplomatic uh, actor that has a little history of, uh, you know, actively engaging in, in diplomacy with the region, but also we consider China a, not a security player in the region. So if we have to sort of make a, a, a free level uh, description of China uh, role in the region, of China's strategy in the Middle East, we see um, economic first, economic and financial interaction first, diplomacy second, and security in the last spot. Um, so again, uh, I think uh, you know, contrary to what many people have, have, have you know um, described and said, um, China mediating this agreement is entirely consistent with with its strategy. Again, because because China just um, um, took advantage of a process of a regional process that was already in play. So from a diplomatic perspective, this was a great win. But again, and I'm, I know I'm repeating this, but I think it's a key point here. Um, this was a low cost move, low risk, low cost move for China. And, uh, um, and also um, this was consistent with China broader objective of uh, maintaining and building economic relations with the region. If you think about uh, well, what I defined as the casus belli that, that led Iran and, China, and, and Saudi Arabia to start talking, so the attack to Saudi oil facilities, um, you immediately think, uh, realize that for China, um, the Persian Gulf is absolutely critical for its energy security. And uh, it's true that for Iran, Iran for Iran would be unlikely to attack um, Chinese tankers or oil going to China because China is Iran's only um, only buyer of oil is, is Iran's economic lifeline. But at the same time, when Iran attacked Saudi Arabia and cut off uh, 
uh, half of uh, Saudi Arabia oil production for several days. China immediately, you know, um, we're, we're in the Chinese mindset, the idea that, okay, the situation can really escalate and put our secure energy security at risk was there. And so um, it's quite clear that from Chinese economic and financial perspective, you know, ensuring a degree, a minimum degree of stability in the region is a primary goal. So if you look at this broader picture, yes, uh, we did not expect China mediating this, but uh, uh, at the same time, uh, it's not surprising. It's not entirely surprising and, and it's not inconsistent with what China has done so far. So, um, let me get to the sort of uh, you know last two questions. So, uh, and then and then of course you know we will have a lot of time for Q and A, which I think it will be the most interesting part of this. Um, with China mediating this this agreement, are we are we sort of witnessing a new Chinese uh, led security or in general more broadly architecture emerging in the Persian Gulf? Uh, personally, my answer is no. Uh, and my answer is no, because um, China is still not interested in becoming sort of, you know, the, the peace broker of the region, is not interested in being the diplomatic leader of the region. Um, I don't think China has the means and will of becoming a security provider. Uh, China is very happy that the United States remain in the region and remaining the one that provides to Saudi Arabia, UAE, this sort of security umbrella. Uh, and so I really struggle to see China, you know, changing this. Uh, and also I think regional countries, and, and in that case, I'm, I'm specifically talking about uh, Arab countries in the region, not Iran, of course, are not interested in, 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 you know, pushing the United States out of the region and substitute the United States with China, because they know that China is not ready, is not willing, has not the means to substitute uh, the United States. But what we are seeing is that China is an inc increasingly crucial in regional dynamics. Uh, China is crucial for Iran as a, as a, as a, as a life, economic lifeline provider. Uh, as, a, as I put in this graph, China is buying uh, tons of oil from Iran. Uh, and this is a very interesting dynamic. And I'm happy to discuss this further in the Q&A. But also, regional countries are increasingly interested in um, sort of joining this emerging Eurasian Chinese-led order. And, and we are seeing this in, in this growing interest in, in uh, regional interest in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, for instance. Or we, ha we had news this, this morning that uh, uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE will probably join the BRICS. So uh, the region is increasingly looking at China with interest and, and with the idea of, of, chi of a Chinese uh, Eurasian order emerging with interest. And, uh, and, and China, of course, interested in, in feeding this, this narrative and increasing its, its footprint in the region. So uh, lastly, and I'll stop there because I probably have talked too much. Um, it's interesting because um, when we talk about, when we think about a Chinese, um, an Iran-Saudi Arabia rapprochement, we naturally think about uh, the Abram Accords. So the rapprochement or the peace agreement between uh, several Arab countries and Israel. Uh, now, um, I think, you know, um, 
when I was thinking about what are the the, the relationship between between these two processes that we are witnessing, I think you know, um, first of all, uh, they are not excluding each other. I think this is this is very important. You know, um, Arab countries uh, and especially Arab Gulf countries are very interested in consolidating relationship with Israel, but are also at the same time interested in uh, building or restoring relations with Iran and the and, and stabilizing the de-escalation process with Iran. So for Arab countries, and again, we are back to the, to the idea that we mentioned before of agency, uh, these two processes are not mutually exclusive. Now, um, they're not a competing either, but uh, they are not coordinating uh, at, at this point. And the reason is obvious. Um, there's no uh, connection right now, no possibility of de-escalation between Israel and Iran at the current state of things. But what is certainly interesting is that the region is moving fast. The region is moving fast. Regional countries are um, interested in, in, in you know, exerting the agency are increasingly interested in uh, you know playing the sort of a multi-aligned foreign policy which which is a key trend that is emerging in the gulf and so um if i have to um sort of uh, give you what for me are the two main differences between uh, the abram accords and the beijing agreement let's call it like that um First of all, is, is is a matter of context. So, what was behind Iran and and and, and Saudi Arabia slash Arab war tension uh, was, as we defined it before, a sort of cold war with very hot hot spots. If if you if you if you allow me to do, to use this this linguistic game, uh, while between uh, Israel and 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 the the Arab Gulf countries, I think we we had a sort of a cold peace. You know, um, the the Abraham Accords uh, somehow um, made uh, uh, official what was going on for a while. Uh, relationship between, uh, um, for example, the UAE and Israel um, were going on long before uh, the Abraham Accords. So there was a cold peace uh, somehow. So this is the first difference. And the second difference, which I think, uh, again, is, is important to bear in mind, is that, yes, this is all part of, of emerging regional dynamics. But um, if we look at the process, again, that, that led uh, to the, this de-escalation agreement between China, between Saudi Arabia and Iran, uh, regional actors were at the core. Uh, regional actors uh, started the momentum and built the momentum and 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 ask the help of, our, of an external power to sort of uh, consolidate this and, and come to an agreement. In the case of the Abram Accords, um, I think the history, with all the nuances applied, the thing is slightly different. I think, you know, here in that case, you have uh, an external power, the United States, and in particular, the Trump administration, really pushing for this. And regional countries uh, sort of accepting and, and 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 building upon the input of an external actor. So this is something again different, which uh, doesn't mean that one is stronger than the other, one process is stronger than the other. But I think gives um, sort of you know a, a broader and, and and comprehensive picture of what we are witnessing in uh, the region uh, these days. 
So I think I'll stop there. I'm very happy to, uh, you know, um, answer question in the Q&A and get um, more deep into, into some of the, the things I've, I've just touched. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, uh, Jacopo, and uh, thank you to both of you for uh, setting the scene. I mean, uh, this was a fascinating overview of uh, the uh, the evolution, uh, just uh, not just of Iran's uh, foreign policy, but the, the region, uh, as you said. Uh, and a lot of your pictures capture uh, this uh, this new environment. Uh, as a result, we're already uh, receiving a, a, a lot of questions. We'll and uh, we'll have a lot of topics here, I'm sure, to uh, unpack. Let, let me start with a, with a question from my colleague, uh, Aisha Sarihi, who uh, was asking about Yemen, uh, because the Yemen war has been going on for uh, eight years now. And one of the major uh, prospects or speculations around the, the deal between Saudi Arabia and uh, Iran was uh, that this could lead to a breakthrough uh, in Yemen. What, what is your take uh, so far uh, on the implications of that agreement for uh, the war in Yemen? Um, should we start maybe with Asif? Uh, sure. Uh, thank you, John Luke. Uh, see, uh, this uh, trilateral agreement, uh, it very clearly has set out, you know, the, the, the timeline. That was uh, initially, you know, the timeline was given for restoration of diplomatic ties. Okay, so for the the, the two powers that have been at war, uh, initially not in Yemen but at other uh, spectrums, uh, so you know it will take time. So I think what they have done is to try and create a mechanism where the two parties come and on a regular basis and they can sort out their differences. So I think uh, this is how they are approaching. So the first step has uh, happened. Now they have restored the diplomatic ties. We have been talking, we have been hearing about the exchange of the ambassadors, you know, uh, the, the two leaders or the de their deputies have been meeting at uh, various other platforms. So this mechanism has started. Now, as far as Yemen is concerned, uh, a lot of it will depend upon uh, reconciling with the two different factions also. So the way we see that these two major powers had got a platform where the, the two are talking. So it's not just that uh, there's something, uh, you know, through a, a, a string that the two powers are critically controlling. No, they do have influence on two different factions. So they will have to do a lot of maneuvering in terms of bringing in alignment or in some kind of reconciliation between these two warring factions within Yemen. Okay. So it's like a double down approach. So of course that will take time. But what I see here is that a great amount of optimism can be uh, uh, had on this issue that, of course, it will be resolved unless there's some dramatic uh, development happens in terms of relationship between uh, these two factions uh, within Yemen, as well as in the regional term between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Yeah, well, I, th I think as if um, basically said what, uh, what I had in my mind, so, but just to reiterate um, the point, uh, the situation in Yemen, I think, I'm not an expert myself of, of Yemen uh, and, and the war in Yemen, but uh, I think, you know, one of the mistakes that um, some of the, you know, analysts and comments uh, I've read in the past have done is that um, 
treating this war as a simply just as a proxy war between Saudi Arabia, Iran, the UAE, and so on. When of course uh, the, the the proxy dimension is there, uh, is 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 important, is relevant, but at the same time there's a very local dimension, and 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 this is something where uh, Saudi Arabia, Iran, uh, the UAE, and all the external actors that are involved in this have somehow limited control upon. So um, um, it's obvious that, for example, you know, for Iran stopping sending weapons to do this will, will certainly um, reduce the ability of the, of the rubber group to, to pursue attacks and so on. But at the same time, um, it, it's very important. And I think, you know, both, um, you know, Saudi and Iranian policymakers have this quite clear in mind that, uh, you know, the, the, the agency, the agency of, of local actors is, is there and and the influence that uh, that 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 the, so the proxy can can have on on uh, or or the, the leader can have on proxy is somehow limited. So um, this is this is kind of important. I share with us some sort of optimism, uh, but at the same time, uh, um, this I think Yemen will be the major test for for this agreement to to remain in place and and bear fruits. Uh, so in the long term. Uh, more than than you know, looking at at, at um, naval uh, tensions in the Gulf. I'd look at what happened in Yemen. If things in Yemen holds, and and or if something uh, there's a sort of escalation, but both Iran and Saudi Arabia stick to the idea that okay, um, this was not our responsibility as this local dimension of the conflict, and we can continue our de-escalation process. Uh, this will 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 have you know positive. Or would not impact much the, the agreement. At the same time, again, is this is where you know the real game is is, is played. Thank you uh, for both uh, both of you for your response. I have a, another question uh, on the, the prospects uh, of China's involvement uh, beyond that uh, agreement between Saudi Arabia and uh, Iran, and the question relates to the way China could play a role in improving relations between Israel and the Arab states and possibly Iran. So in a way, uh, another Abraham Accords, but uh, led this time by, by Beijing. So do, do you think that China could be uh, interested and could play that, uh, that role? Uh, I, I suggest we start with uh, Jacobo this time uh, for the response. Well, that, that's, that's an interesting question and, and the sort of one of those million dollar question. Uh, in a sense that, uh, uh, personally, you know, I don't think China uh, can do much, uh, especially when it comes to Iran uh, and uh, um, and Israel, uh, or broadly when it comes, uh, or yeah, no, not broadly, but in another realm when it comes to Israel and Palestine, for example. So we had the news that China had this uh, proposal about you know peace between Israel and Palestine and so on. But from my perspective, this first of all, this was not new. China has long talked about this, uh, but this is mostly virtue signal, if you want to put it like that. In a sense that, um, um, and here is the big difference between China mediating between uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia and China mediating between Iran and Israel or Israel and Palestine. Uh, and the, the difference is that, um, as, as we said before, in the case of Iran and Saudi Arabia, both uh, rival had the, the, the will to come to some sort of uh, agreement. Uh, but this is not the case with, between Israel and Palestine at the moment. 
it's hardly the case between Israel and Iran. So China will probably do a lot of victory signaling, will probably, you know, um, repeat its, its classic lines that, that they, they want regional countries to be responsible. Uh, they will support any escalation that, that there should be, you know, peace in the region and so on. But practically, I don't see China spending um, diplomatic energy, diplomatic resources for something that is... Uh, practically impossible at the moment. So uh, no, I don't see China brokering a deal uh, between uh, Iran, uh, Israel or Israel and Palestine. Now, uh, China can, um, you know, somehow be involved in a sort of Saudi-Israel uh, uh, accord, Saudi-Israel-Habram accord. Um, Right now, it seems that the United States are still at the at the the, 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 the brokering external power of this, but th that is a case where China would certainly, you know, be happy to jump on board if it's allowed to do that. Thank you very much, Asif. Uh, do you agree with the, this uh, rather cautious or uh, view on the, the Chinese involvement uh, in uh, Israel Arab uh, uh, rapprochement? Uh, my answer, uh, of course, I agree. Uh, with Dr. Sheeta. Uh, uh, just to top it on and maybe generalize it, uh, uh, if we are looking on the question of the Chinese involvement in Arab-Israeli conflict, we will see as to what is the benefit out of it, or number one. Number two, if that problem is not resolved, what is China losing out of it, you know? So if the, 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 the conflict persists and China loses, Strategically, economically, it will jump its head. You know, it's jumping. And uh, if it sees that it, by the way of uh, bringing them together, resolving the conflict, it, uh, it reaps entire, uh, I mean, grand economic benefits, it will jump in. Otherwise, it will not. So, this is my answer. Thank you. Uh, I have a question which is uh, uh, quite similar uh, in the spirit, which uh, relates to the um, the role China can play uh, on the nuclear issue. And you mentioned uh, how much the, the, the nuclear issue uh, will remain a major one uh, at the heart of the, the regional uh, rivalries. Uh, and do you think that China could be able uh, to mediate uh, an agreement uh, such as the a new JCPOA or a new nuclear deal, uh, just like the one that the the, uh, the Obama administration had been able to uh, uh, to um, uh, broker back in 2015. So, do you think that China could replace uh, the U.S. on that? Uh, let's uh, turn this time again uh, to Asif. Uh, uh, sure. Thank you so much. Uh, so, for answering this question, we'll have to ask ourselves first. If the nuclear deal, the, the, the JCPOA is not being revived, uh, whose decision is it? Is it the American decision or the Iranian decision? In my view, it is the Iranian decision. Okay, Iran has not been ready to revive the nuclear deal. Uh, Donald Trump had been working hard, Iran said no. Joy uh, Biden gave some proposal, Iran said no. It has very specific requirement that there should be a guarantee that the U.S. will not pull out of it, number one. Number two is that it should get the measurable economic benefit. Now, eventually, whatever the reason is the decision of Iran. Now, 
if uh, again china sees that there is a benefit out of the resolution of this problem it can convince convince iran to come on the table and resolve it's very easy now is it in the benefit of china now you see get into the global politics of it what has been the repercussion of sanctions on iran you know there are a lot of hardships that the sanctioned country has to face and it has to come out of the bottleneck by creating various mechanisms china has started feeling the heat the same heat of global powerhouse united states sanctioning this country so it has to also devise the same kind of tools and techniques so they are basically working in conjunction with iran to to actually defeat that whole sanctions regime so yeah number one it can resolve this problem number two it is not in its in immediate benefit to resolve this problem so china would rather go to the other way or to reap the benefit out of developing these tools and techniques it is happening in the current context i won't get into much of the detail but yes this has been my answer jacobo yeah well i think i, I broadly agree with asif um I think you know when when it comes to to uh, Iran nuclear uh, program and the JCPOA and so on, uh, China has always been a sort of a follower, never a leader. Uh, although it was part of the you know the negotiation and and so on, um, and there are various reasons for for this. Uh, but uh, uh, just to reiterate what what Asif said, uh, you know. Um, I think I think personally, I think China is is broadly interested and and see the values of a JCPOA in terms of non-proliferation and and so on. So it's not that's not the matter. But um, and I like you know some a colleague wants to find China as a sort of quintessentially self-interest uh, great power. And um, look, if you um, if you look back at uh, uh, the past four years or um, yeah five years since Trump withdrew the United States from the JCPOA, um, the fact that Iran was hedging towards uh, um, you know being capable to to build a nuclear bomb and so on, uh, at the end of the day, had little impact on. China's uh, expansion in the uh, in the region in the Persian Gulf, uh, to the point that probably the past five years have been uh, the most successful for China uh, in building ties and expanding economic and financial presence in the region, in attracting regional country towards itself. So one could simply ask, and, and probably I'm saying again what Asif just said, simply ask: Is this really convenient for China? Because of course, you know. Uh, taking a leadership role in reviving the JCPOA, again, will cost a lot of diplomatic energy, a lot of backlashes, a lot of issues, a lot of uh, contrast with regional countries. Uh, is this convenient for China? I don't think so. Thank you very much. Uh, let me ask you now a question uh, which uh, uh, is on a country which has not been uh, covered much. Uh, I mean, we discussed a lot about the China's involvement behind uh, the, the agreement in Saudi Arabia and Iran, uh, uh, but our audience was also asked, wondering about the role of Oman. Oman, uh, this Gulf state that has a, a traditionally a very neutral uh, policy. So could you tell us about the involvement of Oman uh, behind the, uh, or prior to the agreement between Saudi Arabia and Iran? Um, Jacopo, would you like to start? Yeah, well, um, I'll be very, very, very general. Um, 
as, as, as you were saying, Jean-Louis, um, Oman has, has always been key diplomatic actor in, in, in the region. And, um, and this was true, for example, uh, as we just mentioned during the nuclear negotiation, it's still true because uh, uh, Oman uh, always plays a role when between the United States and um, and Iran. Uh, and Oman was one of the, uh, the countries that really pushed for uh, um, and, and mediated the regional dialogue um, uh, before, um, after 2021. Uh, now, the interesting thing I would say uh, that uh, um, it's notable that uh, uh, Oman was there, but was not probably not the leader of that. And maybe as if um, as more insights on this with me, uh, at that point, the leader was Qatar, uh, Iraq. Uh, and this is this is quite interesting because Iraq is 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 a more certainly more uh, um, let's say a troubled uh, country than than Oman, but it's also a, a country where the the Iranian influence is 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 stronger and 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 more present in the everyday political life. But Oman was there. I think you know uh, in all this process and and even the. the Past few weeks uh, with last development, um, it was it has been clear than ever that uh, uh, every sort of diplomatic process that involves um, Gulf countries and Iran has Oman as a sort of, of neutral mediator, and this was I think particularly interesting because of course you know um, there was a um, a change in in the leadership of the country. Um, and a couple of years ago, um, and and so this was sort of you know I, I remember people you know being worried that that Oman could have lose some of his you know diplomatic uh, courage and 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 activity, but I think you know again um, what is Oman is there has been there has been part of the negotiation, and uh, and again I think Oman is just is the key diplomatic actor in in the Gulf when it comes to Iran especially. I'll leave to a seat which probably has more. Uh, incise than me on this. Uh, yes, sure. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, talking diplomatically, uh, what has been Iran, uh, Oman's position? It provides good offices. You know, it is uh, it is it is treated as neutral country. Uh, it is uh, uh, seen as an unprecedented. So it it provides a very good good office in diplomatic term for major powers. Uh, much like Singapore has provided its good offices between. North Korea and United States, we have seen that, right? It's exactly uh, tantamount to that, uh, because Singapore is also seen as a neutral country, you know? And so what is uh, said as the impartial mediator, that tag is there on Oman. So one uh, great uh, a fruit of this uh, tag we have seen in terms of on 14th of July, 2015, when the nuclear deal, JCPOA was uh, agreed. Uh, uh, for that, before that, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, secret meetings happened between United States officials and Iran. Uh, it was Oman which played the key role uh, between these uh, world leaders. It was very effective. But now, when we uh, and that was uh, see, uh, like these are two countries uh, are are on a deadlock. Right? They uh, are running short of diplomatic uh, good officers because they do not talk to each other. You know, that was Oman very pushing. Now, uh, when it comes to uh, neighbor or slightly extended neighbor uh, countries like. Uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia, who have uh, some very direct conflicting interests, which is quite evident. So there, uh, it's not just the question of uh, good offices, you know. There, uh, the, the mediator also needs to have some kind of wherewithal. Uh, 
which uh, which can actually impact the outcome of some you know situations through its actions or inactions. So of course, uh, in that term, uh, China was a, a better player. So of course, China uh, became uh, a, you know a mediator uh, in that sense. Uh, but yes, uh, Oman has its, its 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 role there in 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 the Gulf, which is highly respected. So in future, we really don't know in terms of uh, other major issues what all countries uh, their leaderships are talking. It will continue to uh, be seen as an impartial mediator. Thank you very much, uh, Asif. Uh, next question uh, is uh, from uh, our colleague uh, Clemens Shea at uh, the Middle East Institute, who is asking uh, about uh, Iran's uh, full membership to the uh, uh, Shanghai Cooperation uh, uh, Organization. And uh, I believe, uh, Jacopo, you also mentioned uh, the uh, the most recent announcement uh, today uh, of uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia possibly becoming members of the BRICS. Uh, I mean, in your views, for both of you, why do we see these new, uh, new uh, rapprochements between Iran, Saudi Arabia, and these regional organizations or multilateral uh, arrangements such as the BRICS? I mean, what are the benefits uh, that they gain from these uh, these uh, uh, partnerships? Shall we start this time with uh, Asif? Uh, well, uh, Dr. Sheeta has done his PhD on this issue. I think I'll be very delighted if he could talk uh, about this issue and in great details. I would be really benefited. Uh, thank you. So, Jacopo, uh, floor is yours right away. Right. Too kind, Asif. Too kind. Well, um, I'll tr I'll try to be, uh, you know, very very um, clear and probably, you know, against some of the hype that this kind of news generate. I think, you know, um, what we are witnessing, broadly speaking, as as I was saying in my presentation in the Gulf, is very interesting. Uh, uh, because of course you know uh it's quite clear that um all this um shall we call them global south organization eurasian organization a non-western organization whatever we will call them are getting uh, and gaining constantly momentum in in the gulf uh in a region that in the past uh, has not particularly been uh, um you know interest in this sort of organization uh, or at least, you know, has been far less interesting than what it is now. Um, in that sense, interestingly enough, and, and here I think Asif can say something more, uh, but um, Iran uh, has, has been at the forefront and has been at the forefront of this uh, uh, look east, to use a word that is that has entered Iranian foreign policy quite heavily in the past two decades, uh, has been at the forefront of this tendency to look east. Um, and for Iran, the news of um, obtaining the full membership in the uh, in the SCO is excellent political news. Uh, this is this has to be said. You know, uh, is is an is an important victory. Is an important win for the Reis administration. Uh, the political message is clear. Iran is not isolated. The United States can try to isolate Iran through sanction, but politically, Iran is not. An isolated country is a country that has entered in this sort of rampant uh, um, Eurasian organization, an organization where Saudi Arabia, UAE, Turkey, and so on, and many other countries want to to join. Iran is entering the BRICS, which is another you know um, organization that has been dormant or sleepy for for two decades or something like that, and now is back 
uh, again, the context of the, the chain, changing global geopolitics uh, with Russia invasion of Ukraine is gaining new traction. So Iran is um, at the forefront of this, you know, political momentum. Now, um, specifically on Iran, you know, the problem is a uh, big win politically, uh, but beyond that, what is it? What we have? I think not much. Uh, Iran remains in a troubled economic position uh, with secondary sanction in place. Iran can't do much uh, with, you know, um, foreign policy that, uh, as, as I see, if I agree with him, that, that um, is basically rejecting any um, U.S. proposal to come back to the to the um, to the JCPOA or, or a nuclear agreement. Um, Iran can can have little economic and financial benefit from joining this organization. Yes, again, a lot of political score uh, for for the recent administration, not to show the world, but in terms of practical benefits, it's very limited. Uh, um, and so that's why I have mixed feelings about uh, um, sort of the success of Iran uh, foreign policy uh, in terms of joining this organization. Uh, but certainly, you know, and I'll, I'll leave to a seat uh, for, for more comments. Uh, again, I want to highlight that what is interesting is that uh, Gulf countries, not just Iran, but Gulf countries are increasingly uh, acting in this as a sort of, um, of multi-aligned foreign, in the sort of multi-aligned foreign policy, where they are very interested in uh, building ties with everyone, uh, including China, in, in not being left out from uh, what might be or not be the next, uh, you know, um, global order, an Eurasian Chinese global order. Uh, I don't think they necessarily believe uh, China will reshape the international system. They do not certainly believe that the United States will be kicked out of this, but they do not want to be left out. They want to have a foot in this sort of emerging Eurasian um, international system. So uh, this is very interesting and, and should not be um, diminished or, uh, you know, um, yeah, should, 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 we, we should have a custom look at this trend. Thank you very much. Asif, would you like to add anything? I just wish to say thank you so much. It was really great to know that. Uh, let, let me uh, ask uh, one, uh, one final uh, question, which uh, is uh, not about China or let's say the uh, external powers, but more the, uh, the the regional dynamics, and uh, it's about the Israel-Iran conflict. And uh, the question relates to how you see this conflict evolving, because uh, what's striking is that in the past two three years we talked a lot about reconciliation and the fact that. Uh, Arab states uh, are getting closer or normalizing their relations with Israel. And at the same time, you have this uh, new warming up of the relations between uh, Iran and Arab states. But when you look at the Israel-Iran relations, uh, things are not de-escalating. It's actually intensifying in terms of the tensions, in terms of the frequency of uh, uh, operations, indirect operations of Israel targeting Iran uh, in Syria, for instance. So how do you see that evolving? I mean, are, are you optimist or pessimist on the uh, the, uh, the evolution of uh, Israel-Iran 
uh, tensions. Uh, let me uh, uh, turn first to to Asif because I know you you you've been thinking a lot about this topic. Uh, thank you so much, John Loop. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's a crucial issue, and uh, again, it is uh, uh, directly linked uh, to the global uh, power also, and also the domestic uh, uh, you know environment. Uh, because as I said, uh, countries have their intrinsic strength and their relative strength. So uh, Iran has its own intrinsic strength on which it is fighting with Israel. Israel has, apart from its intrinsic uh, relative strength, derived from the United States. So what was true about Saudi Arabia, the same would be true about Israel also. Okay. Now, a lot of people talk about Israel's nuclear arsenal, which works as a deterrent. But uh, from that perspective, or in that perspective, we will have to look at China's, uh, Iran's re growing relationship with the two other P5 states, that is Russia and, uh, and China. What uh, we must remember that Iran has had relations, uh, agreement with, with Russia, 20 years agreement, with China, 25 years agreement. The detail of it we do not know. So let's not discount anything. Okay. So the, the nuclear deterrent that Israel has, how much of it will be effective in the face of Iran's closeness with two P5 states where the two leaders' words are the rules of the game, you know? They do not need to go through their parliament, things like that. So, of course, uh, when it comes to the standoff between these two countries, uh, 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 I, I mean, Israel would not stand a chance, you know, in front of uh, Iran. This is what I say. Now, uh, is there any benefit out of diffusing this conflict? Both countries are benefited out of out of this conflict. Iran, Islamic Republic of Iran, the what we Westerners say regime, is being thriving on the enmity with Israel. You know, so why would it want to do away with this? conflict which is giving the, the regime legitimacy for its sustenance. Now, similarly, Israel, whatever its intention, we all know, uh, it is actually a very big power to unite the whole country against a common threat. So basically what I see is that Iran and Israel uh, uh, sustaining each other. That has been the case. Now, in simple terms, uh, in future, uh, what will be the fate of uh, uh, you know this relationship? will entirely, entirely depend upon the United States, uh, uh, the degree of United States blessing that will be there or not there on, on Israel. Okay. And I wouldn't get much into the detail of it, but I think this is where I will stop. Thank you very much. Jacopo, would you like to add something? Well, look, um, very quickly. Um, I was, I was uh, like until six months, one year ago, I was quite pessimistic about the situation between um, Iran and Israel, um, especially given, you know, uh, the return to power of Netanyahu, uh, the Iran's nuclear escalation, everything at some point seemed to point towards, uh, you know, um, sort of a um, terrible escalation and uncontrolled escalation. Um, I think, you know, uh, what we're witnessing um, with the Saudi-Iran agreement, uh, uh, with, with Iran, you know, sort of um, normalizing relationship with other Arab countries, um, makes me a little bit more optimistic in the sense that... Uh,
you know, it's quite clear that the message that uh, especially Arab countries in the Gulf, Saudi Arabia, UAE and so on, are uh, sending to Israel and Netanyahu is that they have no appetite for war with Iran. Uh, and uh, which basically means that, and I think, you know, the United States, to an extent, or the Biden administration has, has pretty much said the same, you know, uh, yes, deterrence, um, yes, you know, of showing strength against Iran. Uh, we have the news of, of, you know, Marines sent on, on, on ships in the Gulf and so on. But there's no um, appetite for war with Iran in the region. Uh, and 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 sort of the underlying message is that Israel will have to go alone if they want to do something, you know, uh, escalate. And and this makes me optimistic. I don't think I'm, I'm not a big fan of of Bibi Netanyahu, um, to put it bluntly. But uh, I don't think it's that crazy to uh, go on something like that. The point is uh, again, I don't see, uh, and probably this is right with this. I don't see, um, I don't see um, any any prospect of reconciliation. So, a uh, hot cold war, or, or um, you know, um, something like that, will be there. And and obviously, the possibility of escalation is 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 always there and and will remain there. Um, so I'm optimistic, but uh, not 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 completely, you know, um, you know, happy or or uh, or again, not completely optimistic, but but neither pessimistic. Let's say, sort of middle way. Thank you very much. This is on this uh, word of uh, cautious <laughs> optimism. Let's say uh, okay. that uh, we will uh, we will stop. Uh, thank you very much, Jacopo, for joining us. Thank you, Asif, as well. Uh, it was a great uh, exchange. Uh, thank you also for our participants to join us for uh, this uh, this lecture. Uh, we'll meet again uh, next week uh, in a hybrid format, meaning that uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be uh, in the auditorium of the Middle East Institute on NUS campus, as well as on Zoom. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about Israel and Turkey, so following on the, uh, the regional uh, powers, the, the foreign policies of uh, the uh, uh, the Middle East uh, countries. Uh, thank you to everyone and uh, have a great uh, day or great evening, depending on where you are. Thank you all.